This is GWC podcast number 329, recorded June 23rd, 2012. In this episode, we discuss one of the summer's most controversial blockbusters, Prometheus. But first, your hosts, three unrepentant sci-fi geeks. I'm Chuck Cage. And one day you end up a big evil, you know, crap ass. And with me, Audra Hester. If I had a nickel for every time I got boned at the eye of Jupiter, man. And Sean O'Hara. <laughs> I shall fart. <laughs> Our mission, enjoy new science fiction, fantasy, and other cool stuff every week and share the experience with you. Oh yeah, and have some fun in the process. GWC is brought to you largely by the generosity of listeners like you. It's your donations that keep us going. For more information on how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. And the fine folks at audible.com. Visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash watercooler for your free audiobook. Of course, we'd love to hear your opinions, too. So if you have something to say or, hey, you could introduce us to something new, don't just holler at your MP3 player. Give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229, extension 701. And leave us a voicemail for inclusion in a future show. Better yet, you can join the GWC community, a group widely recognized as the friendliest people in sci-fi, and watching, reading, and enjoying all kinds of cool stuff 24-7 over on galacticwatercooler.com, our website, blog, and forum. GWC is a spoiler-free podcast, and we define spoilers as definitive information regarding material not yet released in the United States or its country of origin. In short, if it's out, it's fair game. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those Saturday mornings. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, you know, uh, whatever you got to do to get up on Saturday morning, it's it's a good thing. Yeah, I overslept big time this morning. I punched my alarm and didn't even remember punching my alarm. I hate when that happens. Man, you know. I I was unprepared for how having a small puppy who is not house trained is very <laughs> much while, hasn't it? very much like having a small child who is not house trained. <laughs> it has been a while. You know, the last puppy we had was was Yoda, and you know, it was a while. He's eight now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of time to forget. Yeah, plenty of time to forget, and and he's a super cool little dude, but. You know. I love the story, though. I mean, I feel bad for the puppy having a hard time with his shots, but Man. Sean was telling us a story that basically ended up with the puppy and Squeak, you know, in the bathtub <laughs> together, like, well, you got <laughs> scrubbing him down and <laughs> hosing him off. <laughs> you know, it was, it Babies was, and dogs. Yeah, it was bad. You know, I mean, uh, he happened to vomit cannon all over Squeak, you know, because he got out of the car <laughs> and, and we had the... You know the the whole shots because he was abandoned and he's don't only four months old. We don't know what yeah. shots, so we had to have all of them, you know, and because you want him to be okay and and have everything be cool. So we did that, and he he was a trooper. He made it from the the vet clinic to my mom's house, so I we could pick up Squeak and then all the way home. And you could tell he was just kind of rolling around like oh, I don't feel good. <laughs> and then we made it all the way home. I'm like guy. you are such a good little boy. You are doing great. And then we got out of the car, and I had him in one hand and Squeak in the other. And and you could see like his eyes get real big. Like oh, I don't feel no. good. <laughs> Poor little I got guy. them both put down. I got one hand on Squeak, and then Squeak went up and went, Bolo, 
stuck her hands out to, to hug him, and then he oh, just... Oh, no. Blah! <laughs> and I just... You rainbow T-Rex. Oh, yeah. And Not just good. Just look at them both like, well, you're both dirty in the same way, so <laughs> oh. I guess we'll just throw you in the bath. <laughs> So, yeah. Get the was, galvanized tub and the water hose. And <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do? You know? <laughs> they were fine with it. They didn't care. We so. keep thinking back. We'll remember the happy times of Felix being a kitten. And, and oh, he was so cute. And, uh, and we forget about the little furball, like, destroying everything and eating <laughs> things. In the and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You're unprepared. Yeah, we did that once. Yeah, that's real cute when you look back on it, like, a year or two later. You're like, oh, you remember the cool stuff. You forget the pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. Like, when I showed up, like, Tuesday or whatever, and, and there was this, like, this big mound of white fluff in, in Bolo's crate, and you realize that he has destroyed one of Squeak's stuffed animals, and he is sitting in the fuzz. It's Squeak is friend looking for her giant elephant and oh no and he is giant elephant is gone yeah giant elephant is no more and there's like pieces of him still giant around. in fact he's bigger than before he's bigger than before <laughs> <laughs> so i mean he but he knows to like go in his crate and destroy stuff so you can't really like yell like i could do whatever i want in my crate well, you yeah. put me in the crate when i do this i'll just go <laughs> in the crate, go in the crate so and destroy, destroy things. things get in your well that oh, make, wait. <laughs> well, that makes sense <laughs> from his point of Damn view it. he got it does. They, it makes they get upset sense. when I shred stuff outside of my crate. So obviously, <laughs> I can do whatever I want inside my crate. And you want to yell at him, but you're like, "Well, yeah, I can it. see that." <laughs> Logically, he figured that out. That is correct. You know, yeah. I was kind of interested in the other side of that, like not destroying not things. That. But you know, hey, yeah. I guess. So you just wind up putting more squeak toys and stuffed animals in the budget <laughs> so he can destroy them. Yeah, nice. It's a puppy. And we have do? a we have a little this this pink cat. I forget where we got it. And it, <laughs> that is oh, in the state it, um, of dilapidation. That yeah, <laughs> no, at Dave and Buster's a long time ago, oh, I, I won it playing up. trivia. No, it wasn't at a meetup. It was oh, yeah? it was like a couple years. Oh before yeah, that. I remember you and I went and you won- and yeah. I, I won it at the trivia. Thing, Audrey yeah. won me a stuffed animal with trivia. <laughs> at the, it was awesome. I won this with my brain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was. A, and we but, gave it to Felix. Yeah, and oh, Felix yeah. used to fight with it because it was bigger than him. You know, <laughs> so they would like play with it, and eventually he just he. Yeah, when you got Felix, he was a couple ounces. I mean, he was not. Little big at dude. all. He was like you fit in your hand kind of thing. He must have just been weaned or something. Actually, I was afraid to pet him because you could feel his little toothpick ribs and <laughs> you'd be afraid you'd hurt him. Break him. Yeah. So what I kind of did is I put my hand on top of his back and just kind of rub back and <laughs> forth. And, forth. <laughs> and I could cover his whole body. Like the that. other night, you know, like two nights ago, he was lying on his back on the floor in the bedroom and I, I like reached down to rub his belly and I'm like, I can't feel your ribs. And Chuck's like, that's good. You know, you shouldn't be able to feel his ribs. And I'm like, yeah, but they should be a couple inches near the surface anyway. (laughs) Felix is like, yeah, (laughs) rub my big expansive (laughs) belly. But even though he's he's a big cat now, like a, a cool, healthy big cat, you know, he still likes me to rub his back like that. In so that little, like, like little yeah, he spot. tries to fit way. his entire back <laughs> yeah. in your does, hand, and it doesn't to, do that anymore because he he's he a like big arches damn cat. Out. But he yeah. tries, you know, which I always thought was cute. Yeah. But yeah, poor, poor Pink Kitty, man. <laughs> I saw Pink he, Kitty the other day. I'm he like, decapitated Pink Kitty a while back. Holy crap. Yeah. Was that what's left of... It's like this pink brag <laughs> and you find the head staring at you off the floor from weird places like you look behind a table and You're this like, pink kitty head will be like staring at you <laughs> you know yeah he was playing with it when you guys were gone and there's like this pink cloth hanging from his face and i'm oh, like no, what, happened? No. 
Oh my god, it's Pink Kitty. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I have I dominated you, you, Pink Kitty. Yeah, he has. He, <laughs> he won. The day is mine. Pink Kitty lost. Yeah. I see, and I look at Bolo and I know this is gonna be a sixty pound dog. <laughs> You know, and he, he doesn't have a mean bone in his body, and he's he's just it's like good. Yeah, it's great, and he's so laid back, and he's like yeah, whatever. And you realize you got to make your impression now. Yeah, you know, and yeah. like Yoda is is uh, immediately aware of this, you know, because Yoda is bigger than he is at this point, you know, because Yoda and Talat are both forty pounds. They're just Yoda's short and squat, and Talat is tall and skinny. And you realize he's going to outweigh them by at least twenty pounds, and they're bossing him around now. I don't think it's going to go You're the like, same way. Uh, guys, guys you, you might not want because he's going to be able to fold you in a little pretzel later. <laughs> and this is not like many years down the road. <laughs> like in six months. Yeah. Yeah. You know how you stopped? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> he ain't going to do that because he's like a boxer rock cross, you know? He's just going to be big. He's going to be big a big, dog. very sweet dog. That's awesome. Squeak leads him around by the tail. Oh. Come on, Bolo. He just, oh, yeah, okay, we're going this way. So everything's fine. <laughs> but I will pity the person who tries to set, say aught of ill to squeak in front of Talat and Bolo. It will not be a good thing because both of them, they're like death with each other when Squeak is happy and then Squeak gets scared and both of them stand in front of her and start growling like, we're touching our baby. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, awesome yeah. she's got like bouncers she has an army yeah. <laughs> a dog <laughs> army <laughs> she does like, that'd like, be a cool like a comic strip or, or graphic novel or something about awesome. about a little girl who like goes on adventures and stuff and she has these dogs that are her protectors like a so. young chick version of Beastmaster yeah because uh, she, she she goes this is the only sentence she has to she goes I'm scared. And they both stand in front of her and start growling, looking for the, just looking around like, what should we kill for you? You know? And I'm like, oh, great. Some squirrel is going to be mauled. She's like, I would like some cookies. And they like, that's a good idea. Oh, she does. She totally, she, she totally shares. She's like, Talit, get cookies. So Talit will bring her because he can reach it and she can't. You know, because she's taller than... She can open it, and he She can open it, and he's taller than her if he stands on his hind legs and goes into... She's like, you've got the height, I've got the opposable thumbs. She opens (laughs) the pantry... Yeah, oh yeah. She opens the pantry door and goes, Talit, get cookies. So Talit will get cookies, and Talit will then sit and wait for her to open them. And then she'll give him one, and Bolo one, and her one, and everybody's happy, and then they suddenly eat in a bag of cookies. You know, the whole process takes like less than three minutes. It's awesome. all the cookies. Damn it! Uh, damn. <laughs> You're like, where's that forty pound box of Oreos I got yesterday? <laughs> it is. It's bad. You know, the, the the three of them wander around in a pack now and destroy food. Anyway, enough about my dogs. How about some news? News. And now, We got lots of news this time. Well, our first news that trumps all other news. 
There's new Futurama. Yes, there is. Oh, Holy crap. And it we're is. behind a little bit. We haven't seen the brand new stuff yet. I, w- I was telling Sean about that when we were setting up. It was really funny because like, uh, actually, it was actually this morning, you know, I had realized that I'm like, oh, crap, we got new Futurama sitting yeah. on the DVR. We should, we need to watch this. So I, I fire up the DVR and I look. And I realized there's some season six in there. I'm like, man, those don't look familiar. We didn't watch those before. <laughs> and then we realized that we got busy with school and yeah. everything. And like the last six, seven episodes of season six, we hadn't seen, which is like awesome. Right? It is so, so we watched It's that. like finding money in your pocket. It is. You know? yeah. <laughs> out of the like a hundred dollar like, bill. You know? Yeah, it's, it's really good. I... I was. I'm always skeptical when Futurama starts again. That I'm not anymore. They're going to lose it. I'm not anymore. You know, and and every time, except for the, like the beginning of season six, or or maybe it was five. Like the the one after they came back. I know. I know what you're talking about. There was like the very first one when they came back. It yeah. wasn't as like, good, and then huh. and then it just was. Brilliant. And then they just ramped it up better and, was, and yeah, better was, and better. It was exceptional after that, you know. And uh, so I, I went. I'm like, man, this, the only this other could thing is like the movies. I, I don't think the movies are not really you know great what? i i think it's just not their format i agree yeah i was gonna say yeah. you know i think the movies were like the interim sort of like we we know that there's a market for this but we don't know exactly how it's going to work so let's just take what we got and do it and yeah. they made shows yeah and slap four of them together yeah. into yeah when they chunk them out like uh when they did the uh, uh when they take the movies and chunk them out into 30 minute segments yeah. they work better yeah by the yeah. way so i mean i don't know if because comedy central did that yeah after a while and they work totally better I mean, that is the format for this style of, right. of show. I mean, that's just what you got to do. It seems like Comedy Central's got that figured now, too. You know what they did for the the launch is they took two 30-minuteers and just played them back-to-back. And said, here, we're going to give you an, an hour of Futurama. Do what and you want just with it. Two episodes. And they just ah. bang, bang. Oh, this morning, we watched the one where uh, Leela creates that kids TV show. But it turns out that she's actually been going to an alien planet, observing awesome. the actual characters <laughs> just and just writing, writing down what they do. <laughs> it's and, awesome. so, but, and, and they're like, I don't know if this show's going to last or whatever. And she's like, well, everybody knows that only the best shows always get canceled. And Any, they're like, sometimes I, more than once. Never <laughs> cancel anything. Sometimes two or three times. Yeah. You're like, wow. Yeah. Dig in Fox. Oh my God! It was such a sweet zombie zombie Jesus again. Yeah, Yeah. they slipped it in this time, not censored. Sorry. Oh, they're on Comedy Central now, right? Yeah, but still. Yeah. Well, and when they were on, I think it was Fox, wasn't it Uh originally? And yeah, they censored Comedy Central. South Park has plowed so much ground. Yes. That no kidding. That God. Futurama is just not as yeah. Is I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of room before Futurama hits the fence. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so I mean, they can do a lot of that stuff now, and I don't think it's it's nearly as as restrictive as it as it used to be. But it's they still have the same kind of clamps on that clamps. That, yeah, that make them creative. <laughs> you mean these clamps that, that I, I use in every opportunity? opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's just great, but they. They did it right this time. They were like, well, you know, we need to we need to open big with this. We got a lot of content behind it. We're going to do two episodes right back to back opening night. Here you go. Do whatever you like. Oh, you do whatever awesome. you want. You know, uh, the correct format. And they were great. I can't uh, wait to see them. You, I agree with you, Audrey. It's a super smart show. Yeah. yeah. The um, th- I, There's a whole bunch of just like social commentary and stuff as, as usual, you know. Yeah. But my favorite social critique in this particular episode was the over-sexualization of everything for kids. 
which is absurd. They're, they're watching these TV shows and it was like, it shows an elementary school and it was the MTV, like MTV style kind of thing. And the guy was showing it to all the kids at the orphanarium and doing a brain scan and, and watching their, their fun waves, you know, as they responded. And, uh, it's like this, uh, you know, rock and roll music and you see like, and the camera pumping in and out on this elementary school. And then it's like, what was it called? Chuck popular sluts something. Yeah. And it's it's too almost too true to be funny. And there's a toy store know? called Menage Toy, yeah. and and stuff. I'm no, like, it is it is super. I've I've had to be involved in a lot of this yeah kid show stuff, and and man, you would be surprised at the age they start this crap on. No, I wouldn't. It's I mean, pretty sad. And you know, I actually had a psychology class last semester that covered some of that, and you're like. I mean, I started like, to think ooh. maybe I'm just old or something, but I was like, whoa, crap. What oh, that is that? Was terrifying. Yeah. Those, and, <laughs> and all those reality shows like toddlers and tiaras and they're putting little girls in lipstick and blush and, and, you know, mascara and putting their girls hair not on. much older than squeak. Yeah. yeah. We're talking three, four, five year old girls yeah. wearing bras and all kinds of stuff. And remember when they used to do the good old days when heels. they used to wait till they were 10 or 12 to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty bad. There's, there's a lot of stuff out there now that's questionable at best but and and you know and everyone makes fun of these like supposed backwoods places <laughs> where where girls get pregnant really young and then they're like in hollywood they're they're doing it you know i don't know there's when you watch these shows and it it's bad too because kids really at that age really pick up everything so i had to stop watching you know like the first time i was uh you know the show ended i was watching and then South Park came on, and I heard Uh-oh. Squeak repeat. You know, she's like "ass bandit." I'm like, "Okay, we're we're back out." You know, <laughs> uh, that will never be on again. We'll just move that along. They, <laughs> they don't. They're yeah, they, calling us ass guardians behind our back. <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, yeah, they God. really kids really do pick up quick and." especially if they can start putting connotation to some of the words they hear, you're like, well, uh, we're out of here. So there's really a, I mean, uh, we watch a lot of Sprout and Nick Jr. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Disney Channel Jr. And, and all that stuff, just because it's, man, it's a lot safer. <laughs> it's a lot safer. I, you know, because when her favorite show is like Doc McStuffins, which is about this little, a uh, girl doctor who doctors stuffed animals. Uh, Doc stuffins. That's that yeah. is cool. And, and when she's around, she has her little stethoscope. All the toys come to life, and they tell her what their problem is, and she goes and fixes them, and and helps kids, you know, understand not to be scared of the doctor, and and to to help other people and all that stuff. And it's this little little African American girl going around and fixing all these toys. You know, it's awesome. That is cool. Much better than South Park and Ass Bandit. Yeah. Just saying, It'd be know. cool if it was done to sort of imitate house, like in a kid-friendly way, <laughs> you know? No. <laughs> like this crotchety, you know, crotchety, this little girl doctor who's like crotchety. And, yeah, no. Yeah, I said in a kid-friendly <laughs> way, MTV you know? this month. <laughs> but kid-friendly. House yeah. McStuffins. <laughs> Yeah, there was there's there's you a can lot. have like a lollipop thing, you know, no, like lollipop addiction, addiction. An, oral, addiction. an oral fixation. Yeah, that'd be awesome. No, there's but I mean there's, there's all this, Damn. this this content out there, and it, it's funny to watch them like battle over like uh, the big train show is Thomas the 
the train, right? Yeah. And yeah. they, ever since George, Car- George Carlin died, who narrated it, mm-hmm. uh, they came out with another series that's not model based. It's, it's 3d based. So, uh, Disney channel figuring out they were behind came out with a series called Chuggington, uh, which is basically a direct ripoff, except <laughs> they use direct, you know, electric trains instead of, uh, wow. smoke powered or, you know, uh, steam. steam powered trains. Uh, so Chuggington. Oh, it yeah. sounds like a bad frat party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, really? You know, and you can watch your these. name is Flounder. Yeah, Yours you... Chuggington. <laughs> Why not? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you can watch them do battle over these children's IPs. It's super competitive wow. now, but yeah, it's anyway, Futurama's out. It's great. Actually, the other thing from that, uh, episode that you kind of hit on was, was that, Stealing is a form of creativity. Yeah, Bender makes that. I was like, oh, that's awesome. It was almost a throwaway line, too. It was hilarious. And yet... Stealing is a form of creativity. It's really a big question now because, I mean, it was one thing we started with sampling. You know, if you sample a song and and heavily, you know, and... uh, But, you know, it's it's a real question these days because on one hand... It's hard to prove that anything, I mean, I'm just hitting the full range here. It's hard to prove that anything is really original, you know, is wholly original. Yeah, it's real tough to come up with those when so much is built on... Everything is built on something else. Yeah, I mean, everything is at least in some part derivative. Right, right, exactly. But on the other hand, there's a line, too, you know, where you're really just kind of slapping this pastiche of other people's work together. This is our character, Marth Bader. Yeah. (laughs) Larry Blotter. Yeah. And, a, and an awesome example of that is stuff like Chad Vader, you know, where it's parody, which kind of is one of the exceptions, I think. But, man, you really it's a much more complex question than I think I thought it was originally, you know. It, well, well, sampling in music, you know, I always thought started out as kind of a tribute, like my understanding of it in hip hop and things like that. When you sampled somebody, it was because you were doing like an homage to them. And, it, you know, there was a whole bunch of legal stuff where you'd have to make sure you got permission and royalties and all that. But the idea was to give props to somebody who you respected and then put your kind of, you know, your original ideas, merge them with the old ideas and be kind of like, this is us now. This is what we've done with what you yeah. laid down, you know. I always thought it was kind of cool, but... Yeah, then it crosses a line well, somewhere. What are you laughing at? <laughs> and then Diddy made a career out of it. it yeah, it well, gets it gets to the point where, yeah. Well, I was going to say, the tough thing with that is that then you get something that is obviously heavily, not just sampled, it's like the same song with different lyrics and stuff, and yet the song has an entirely different sort of take and feel. It's really difficult to draw that line. And then it goes even farther now because of this uh, and, and, you know, crossover between consumer and creator. You know, you don't have clear cut consumer creator anymore. We mix it all up. And that's good. You know, that's fun, I think. But on the other hand, I mean, it kind of has made a lot of us start to feel, I say us, I, you know, I don't know whether to include myself in this, not like somehow we all should get credit for our piece of whatever we do, even if that's just promoting something like, like if, if you're part of the viral promotion of something, then you somehow should, should own that to some extent. And I won't go into it, but, uh, I kind of, I kind of ranted a while back about, um, Uh, these folks that put together something called the curator's code. Like they really, they felt like they felt like if they, you should, whenever you point out something in a blog, you should reference everyone else that's pointed that out because everybody deserves credit for having found things on the internet, you know? 
And basically, if you go and collect other people's stuff, you're also being creative somehow by doing that. And that's that you right. should get credit as an artist for collecting stuff. Exactly. And and I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that, because on one hand, I mean, I, I, I actually kind of do that. Like if I uh, if I write about something on Toolmonger or on GWC, the times I've, I've blogged for GWC, if I if I found it somewhere, a lot of times I'll add a via or something to, to let you know where I found it, because I find a lot of good sources of information that way, and I feel like that's that's cool. And curating is, I think, uh, a form, uh, maybe an art form that deserves appreciation. I mean, right? Like good museum curation can make the exhibit. Yes, you know? yes. On the other hand, uh, I think that this this feeling that somehow because you trolled the internet and found something, you have some kind of ownership over it is, or I don't know, credit to it is. Right. Uh, I don't know. I think I, what, you know what I think gets me about it? And I, I, I'm doing exactly what I think you're doing right now, which is you're like, something's not right about this. I don't know what, but it doesn't it's, feel it's, right. It's not there for me. I think, I think what bothers me is that I, I guess the journalist trainer, you know, the journal journalism training in me says, you know, if you're going to filter blog, if you're going to write about something, you have to add something to it. Otherwise you're just really plagiarizing you're just or even you're just stealing you know the difference between stealing and curating or to just me, repeating i mean even if you're giving credit you know right if i just take somebody else's post and post it on my blog and then sell advertising and stuff on that i'm a dick you know if i if i take a reference to someone else's post and add something to that like it could be as simple as a way of looking at it that i feel is significant or or bringing that into a subject matter that I deal with, like on, on Toolmonger, for example, taking something that was maybe posted, uh, like the other day I posted a, uh, a, a zombie killing axe, you know, and it was really interesting to, you know, the geek zombie crowd, but, but taking that and putting a tool twist on it and saying, is this really a good oh, tool or not? Oh, you got it from Thing Geek, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and and I reference the original and I say this is where I got it and and this is why it's interesting to these people, but this is why it's interesting I think in terms of what this blog is about. What do you think? And we talked about it and discussed it in comments in terms of what kind of tool it was and how you would maybe, use it. Maybe that's the where that discomfort's coming from because on one hand I think a self, like a, a conscientious curator says you know, I know that I'm doing a different kind of creativity. I'm, I'm doing a different kind of creation here by, you know, gathering things and deciding how to display them and adding something to it, adding value to it, right? But I, I respect that I'm doing something different than the artist, and I respect that I... Um, I am owed a different kind of recognition for that, you know, and, and be just very upfront about what you're doing. But I think that maybe the discomfort is that some of these, uh, especially maybe not even real curators, but just the, the blogs that clump it all together and stuff they're they're trying to take they're trying to lump themselves in inappropriately you know trying to get acknowledgement that's the type of acknowledgement that the original people get yeah and i think what bothers me is that um so you've taken this item and you've curated it for your audience if someone else takes that from you if they're not curating it for your audience then what you added isn't really there anymore so, like, for example, um, if I find, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, like, like if, a, if a, a wood chopping blog picked up my piece on the zombie axe and, and curated it for people that chop wood and read about chopping wood, then 
my curation is no longer there. The original might still be there. But even then, the other thing that bothers me is who's the original? Because there's only one creator, you know? And that's what it comes down to is that if you found it before I did, who knows that somebody else didn't find it before you did? We don't know because there's a creator. They are the first. After that, it's just everybody. So anyway, I guess there are a couple of things that bother me about that. And it's kind of, uh, kind of weird. But that one little throw off line in Futurama, man, like Audra was like, did you hear that? You know, and, and that happens a lot. And you got to back up and check it out and everything. I feel like I ran that in the ground. My bad. <laughs> No, I mean, Futurama is pretty quick in the delivery, and you, you really don't get it all the first time. You really don't. But uh, I have less, um, uh, we'll call it popular news. Um, the uh, the latest thing, and I, I'm a fan of this, uh, the, the, the reason everybody watches Breaking, uh, or uh, uh, Twilight series, uh, the Breaking Dawn Part 2 trailer, has uh, the last couple trailers have been re- been released in rapid succession here in the last couple of weeks, and uh, there you haven't really seen the the big reveals yet for the uh, powers that Bella's going to have, uh, but because uh, a large well, for for those of you who don't follow the Twilight series, uh, vampire powers are largely mental and they take physical manifestations, but uh, it's never been clear how those powers are going to be uh, displayed in the movies. And they still haven't given you any of that. They've given you a little bit of taste of it in the last couple trailers. Uh, it looks pretty pretty accurate, and uh, there seems to be a big uh, interest in it. The studios are very excited about it. The numbers have been tracking insanely, and it's threatening to be the largest of the Twilight series, which is not inconsequential. Is this the, um, so Breaking Dawn was like that, the most uh, recent book, right? That was and the, it was that huge. Up until very recently where they just threw piles of cash at Stephanie Meyer and said, please write us a fifth one. It was the last book in the oh, series. Oh, okay, okay. And, but they divided it into two they divided, parts I for mean, the The movies, book is right? probably around 1,200 pages or something ridiculous. I mean, it's a big damn book. Um, and they divided it in, much like the last Harry Potter movie, they divided it into two movies so that they could do justice to both halves. And this is the second part of the fourth book up until very recently, the last book, but, uh, they've, they apparently came up with a number that Stephanie Meyer deemed was acceptable to go (laughs) and, and write more. The dump truck was big enough. Yeah. The dump truck was finally big enough and, uh, delivered as you know, made as many trips as it needed to, to, uh, Anthony page, uh, Hopkins. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so they finally just caved and, and she's like, yeah, fine, I'll do a fifth one. And, uh, I don't know how that's going or if it's still going or anything, but there was a lot of, apparently there were a lot of zeros behind it and they're going to do another one because there's just that much interest in it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the original end to the story is coming out pretty soon and, uh, or at least soon ish. And it's. It's looking actually pretty good if you're into Twilight. I know many people who who have read it are not interested in it, but uh, there are a significant number that are. So it yeah. uh, looks great. Uh, I'm going to go see it as usual. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Why weekend. not, man? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, so it should be kind of cool. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I, I've never, I, I don't know, I guess I feel like. Well, vampires aren't really you guys' thing. I guess I'm in the not. First place. I, I guess I always I'm always leery when there's so much like 
I don't know when you pick a group out and single them, single them out and, and point, you know, I'm yeah. like, Oh man, that feels weird. <laughs> doesn't feel right when that happens. It's written you know? for adolescent girls. Uh, so there's, there's this, uh, in a specific portion of adolescent girl, like emo adolescent girls, which is a very specific target, you know? And this is not something that necessarily carries through, the entire populace and there's a lot of blowback from it as far as ah, I don't want to see it. So don't go watch it, you know, but speaking of things that I, the people uh, love to hate and I kind of enjoy as well, a uh, little bit of transformers Four news. Um, the budget is, it's pretty straightforward. The budget's a little smaller and by smaller, I mean like 170 instead of 200 million or something. Yeah. It's not like seriously is uh, Shia LaBeouf going to do the, don't know. All all the news I have is that uh, the budget's a little smaller. Uh, Michael Bay said that it's definitely not going to be a, a reboot or anything, that they're going to continue the story that you've been watching for three movies, uh, which is kind of cool, I think, in a way. That's now counterculture. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. used to be counterculture to do, a, to do a reboot. Now it's like everything is rebooting. It's going to so be the same story. We're like, what? we're going to be original. We're going to tell the same story. You're like, wow, okay. And uh, uh, other than that, they said that it might take place. He wants to get more off planet, but doesn't want to be too disconnected. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, they should make Sam like become a, you know, a world famous astronaut or something. And then they can replace his last woman with someone even hotter. <laughs> and Hotter with the iron in the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Burning flesh. I want to hear it. You know, uh, it. I'm thinking that uh, with all the stories that they've told in the Transformer universe, uh, there's got to be one. There's the God. Go, go to Cybertron. Go to space. Go some. Leave the damn planet. Uh, There's. This is obviously not the way that it's uh, that originally that you could you could get a whole bunch more stories, especially with the amount of characters that they're not introducing. Uh, and the type of characters they're not introducing. Just go to space. You can you can do a lot more there. <laughs> you can introduce some really cool things. You can go to different planets. You can go to uh, uh, different areas and explore different areas of the story if you leave Earth. Uh, if you watch any of the other Transformers series, um, man, there's a whole bunch you could do. I mean, introduce the space bridge. You know, get us the hell off Earth. That's really cool. I mean, go to Cybertron. Go to any of the Apple. Go anywhere. Go to the planet of junk. I don't care where you go. Uh, the planet. I want to see the planet where, uh, you know, all those female Transformers are that you told me about a long uh, time Originally, ago. they're on Cybertron. Uh, they live in the underground of Cybertron and Before Megatron. Before it was destroyed, right? Uh, no, I, after it was destroyed, basically, um, Megatron led, uh, If at least if you go with the, the Series 1, Megatron led the... Uh, military and and all the uh i guess transformers with weapons and everything to eradicate anybody who was not part of that group and generally speaking the women were or the female uh transformers were not part of that group uh and just annihilated almost all of them and they live uh, the ones who were hardier and learned how to fight and learned how to to fight back against him were went underground in cybertron and stayed there and we're basically the home guard for the boys who left, the Autobots who left. And we're holding the planet, or at least as much as they could, for the return of reinforcements and, and help. 
Uh, so they're still on Cybertron from from all that stuff. And yeah, they're they're bad. You know? That'd be a, a great story, though. I always wondered about that. They're pretty cool. And now they, in the last movie, of course, they turned RC into a unicycle and blew her up and what? A pink unicycle who shows up wow. in what, like a, a two minute sequence uh, that has a even. little kid in it? Not even. I mean, it was just like she spent like 30 seconds on screen and got the crap blown out She's of her. She's like, oh, my robot maternal instincts. There's a child on the screen. I better pop up in my pinkness. It was so not what the original RC and Alita One examples are in the original Transformers. Uh, RC is probably the, and especially Alita One, are, are the most badass Autobots ever. And they used, uh, I'll use the Chuck Incomprehensible thing. <laughs> they used this much of them, you know, and <laughs> just completely missed the point on that. So I really hope they, they do something with that next time. I was just thinking, you know what I would love in the, the human casting is if it, is if the uh, guy and girl, you know, couple or whatever who are at the center of the story or someone like um like nick and nora you know huh. <laughs> like uh michael Sarah and um and crap what's her name meow meow uh yeah who plays darcy and help me out here i forget her name too always it's awful <laughs> i always know it until i need to she's know on it. that real popular tv show too right what who what are we talking about oh uh two broke girls Oh, uh, Kat Dennings? Yeah, Kat yeah. Dennings, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to see like Michael Sarah and Kat Dennings be the main humans involved because, first of all, Kat Dennings would, you know, her character would have personality that you would care about. And the two of them would be sort of a team instead of, you know, a hero with his prize. And it would be awesome because they're kind of nerdy and it fits with Transformers that they would have kind of nerdy human pals instead of, you know. Oh, hell yeah. Instead of like, cheerleader types who don't care yeah i uh, i'm not gonna not, disagree not to with stereotype that. cheerleaders is not caring about robots but <laughs> yeah i guess that's not really fair but you know i mean it'd be cool to see someone who is more into that kind of thing anyway as a character you know what would be awesome super bad but with transformers i pay to see that <laughs> you guys looking at me like i'm crazy my head's gonna spin around or something <laughs> Throb, big throbbing hydraulics. Yeah. Chuck uh, apparently just walked in the room. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, a little while back, we were we were excited and somewhat skeptical about uh, a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> iteration, and uh, I I was on the upper age limit of this, but it was around when I was a kid. You know, and and I, my brother hit exactly right. Yeah, you know? and uh, we were like, "Oh man, I don't know how the hell you're going to do that." And we were lamenting uh, April O'Neil and how you would do that in yeah. some kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's like Lois Lane, only worse and in, in a yellow onesie, you know, with with hooker boots, and uh, or white galoshes, however you want to do that. Anyway, <laughs> apparently now they couldn't figure out how to do that either, <laughs> and it's been put on hold. So and I don't know exactly why, but that's what I heard. It's just on hold. Yeah. This does not surprise me. Yeah. I think with all the, the IP with comic books and superheroes and everything, they're like, oh, man, who, what what IP do we have? We have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was big, right? All right, let's do that. And then what, what do we do? You know? I'm personally, I think that's probably what happened. That is completely unsubstantiated and not true in any way. However, 
If it were me, I wouldn't know where the hell to go with that. I mean, that's... They should do, like, a, a dark drama. Like, <laughs> like CSI Mutant Ninja yeah, Turtles? Yeah, yeah. Just, like, uh, you know. ha- and have them be the guys in the rubber suits, you know, but just have it be totally serious. <laughs> like all of them are dark and brooding? Yeah. Kawabunga. Dude. You know, just, just be, uh, just not even change the dialogue, just deliver it in a dramatic way. Like the like the dramatic hamster or something. I I don't know. It it's pretty it's pretty difficult to do in a in a serious way, and it'd be very difficult to find a, a new and fresh take on it because they really whipped the crap out of that horse uh, from the late eighties or early nineties to like just a couple years ago. Um, man, I mean, they still. It'd be tough. It'd be tough to find a, a new way to do it. You know what would be cool is like a Gargoyles movie. I loved the Gargoyles. I know. Me too. It was a great a show. A live action one with the people who voiced the various <laughs> characters playing them. That'd be funny. <laughs> no, I mean, it could be, a, it could be an animated Jonathan movie. Frank you know? Otherwise known as a next gen reunion. Oh my God. Everybody was on that. Yeah. Everybody was on that, and the best the best ones were uh, the ones with uh, uh, like uh, I can never remember her name, but Troy. Uh, oh, Marina. Sirtis. Marina Sirtis, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, her character Demona was awesome, and uh, they had uh, the you know Wharf played on there, and of course uh, Jonathan Frakes was was heavily involved and, and voiced some characters, and then uh, I mean. Many, in fact, many of the people who went on to to voice some of the, like even the lesser known ones, like uh, Broadway is is huge now because uh, he does voices for like I was looking it up the other day, like five or six major cartoons that are on the air right now. Nice. Um, he does Transformers Prime. He does, uh, I mean, just tons of stuff, and it had some of the best voice acting and some of the best stories. Gargoyles had huge stories. Giant arcs, and they were they did the whole thing where they did the um, uh, and all I could think is Oberon's children, but I, I can't remember the name of the arc. But where they they kind of explored the the five races ex, uh, from a Midsummer Night's Dream. Interesting. Oh huh. yeah, you guys didn't see any of that. I, huh. I didn't see all of it. I I just I watched it here and there when it was on. Sometimes after yeah, school, it was, I, it was really cool. They I went think it to was in middle school or something, but yeah, I, I like mean, that show. They they did a whole bunch of of great storylines and that would be kind of an easy one to to make either live action or, or treat seriously and do in kind of the new comic back well it's got so much integrity format. and it's yeah. kind of a superhero type thing that hasn't really been done in film they didn't talk down to you at gargoyles yeah they didn't ever compromise any of that stuff they just told you great stories and these characters were super dynamic uh even though they were written kind of simply they kind of developed this huge, uh, I guess, uh, range of, of complex emotions and problems and, and issues that they, and they carried them through like, uh, Broadway was super fascinated with guns for a while. And then he accidentally shot somebody with one. And from then on, he had this hatred of guns that transferred uh, across the entire rest of the series. And, uh, it became like one of his, one of his hot buttons. That kind of character longevity, I think, is critical to making a show great. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, 
really good. I mean, at the first, you know, Goliath, who was the the main leader, was was super rigid in his, uh, you know, this is a friend, this is an enemy, this is they are for us or against us, and everything. And then later on, he learns that well, that may not necessarily be true. You know, they what what is making them like this? What let's try and understand them. And it was pretty cool. Uh, they they really grew all the characters except Bronx, uh, who was <laughs> basically a dog. Uh, he was a gargoyle dog, but he was basically a dog. Uh, but it was really, really good, uh, brilliant series. That they could make that a movie, no problem. Excellent, excellent suggestion. Let's just scrap Ninja Turtles and just scrap it. Put it all in gargoyles. That was awesome. You know, I got. Uh, you guys have heard of Quora, right? The uh, the service From Tron? no the service where you can like ask questions and answer oh, questions yeah, yeah, and sure. stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what I think about the service as a whole. I signed up when it first came out because you know we we kind of talk about that stuff in class a lot. So when new services like that come out, you have to sign up and try them out really to be on top of things. But um, but I never really got involved. And then they send out these weekly emails that are like some of the coolest questions and answers that are on the on the system. I don't know exactly how they target the emails or whatever, but Holy crap. Like they, I don't know, last like three weeks in a row, they send me one and I can't help it. I go read like two or three of them. And I mean, what the kinds of, there's a lot of crap on it. You know, like you'd expect like Yahoo questions, which is awful, right? You know, it's like somebody asks a question and then a bunch of people Google it and post the Google well, for, answer. For people don't know, how does it, How's the setup? I'm, I'm not really an expert. We like you. You, uh, I kind of told you everything I know about it, which is you sign up and you can post questions and you can answer and people can give you credit for answering them and stuff like that, so, which makes it sound exactly like Yahoo questions. Yet for whatever reason, it seems to function differently. Like there seemed to be, first of all, there seemed to be a pretty, um, though I, I don't know about the entire user base. I'm not sure how important this is to what I was going to talk about, but um, the, you know, it seems like on Yahoo questions, like 90% of them are junk. And on this one, it seems like less of them are junk. There are some really interesting people that get involved too. Like, like one time there was one where somebody said, why is it that startups treat their employees this way or that? And there were like two responses from people that had started famous startups like Instagram and another one. And they were like, well, there are these issues and these, and this is unacceptable and blah, blah, blah. It was just really cool answers. But the, what made me think of this was uh, when you were talking about, about guns, somebody posted the question. And, and these are the ones that are the most interesting, I think, are the ones where somebody posts a question that's kind of a standard knee-jerk question. But the response, there's a response that you're like, Wow. It's like um, what we always wanted Yahoo Answers to be. Yes. It will never be. And never, ever. Yeah. So this person said, had asked the question, should I, ki- should I get a gun to protect myself or is it more hassle than it's worth? Bad question, right? I mean, there's not enough detail there to make any sense. And there was an answer from this guy who was this, uh, um, uh, who was this, uh, had, had a career training people in the military with weapons, right? And he posted this one, two, three, four, five. It was not opinion it was just straight up things like he wasn't saying yes or no he was saying you need to think about this and this and this and this and this in order to make uh to make your decision about that and it was like one of the best most well-written things i've seen in a long time you know that's awesome yeah you're like instead of telling you well this is the way it is he was like this is how you make that decision and and he was i'm trying to remember the things and really it's kind of like a true hive mind yeah like you need to go read it but it was things like uh it was things like, in what situations would would you use it, and how would that work? Um, how will you train yourself, and and what will the effects of that training be or lack of be on your success with it? 
um, how will you maintain a gun and how do you, do you know how to do that? And are you, what, how will you prepare for that? And, um, where will you store it? Yes. Yes. I always thought that was so important. What is the balance of, for you particularly, what is the balance of risk to gain? Like what can you gain from it and what are the possibilities that you could lose it? And here's some places you can go to get information and think about that. Um, and then the last one was, I think the most poignant, which is, by the way, let's say all this works out and you find yourself in this situation and you do manage to get the gun. And he had really interesting things to say, like, like, do you really think that a mugger is going to stop and wait while you get a gun out of the hidden compartment in your purse? You know, things like that. You're like, wow, I hadn't thought of that, you know, (laughs) but he was like, let's say you get through all this and you have the gun and you're pointing it at the guy and you could hit him and it's all going to work out are you prepared to kill someone? And he's like, before you answer that, here's some places you can go to read about that. He's like, I can't speak for you, but (laughs) there's a link to Yahoo answers. (laughs) Am I prepared to kill someone? (laughs) But I can tell you that, you know, he's like, I was in the military and I had to do that. And, and we actually do this kind of training for that. And these are the kind of problems that we have. And these are the places that people go for help after that. And this large percentage of people who are in that position in the military and have it very clear cut for them need help afterward in this way. He's like, you know, if you're going to answer that before you just answer that question, look at some of this and see what you think. Are you prepared? Anyway, I don't mean to go off, but I just, I'm like, wow, every week, every week I get something like that. That's cool. I'll probably subscribe to that, to that email. <laughs> I'll start forwarding the ones I get. You don't have to give me your email. If you don't <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Oh, that's cool. I mean, to go off forever. <laughs> So all of us a couple of weeks ago uh, separately scrambled to the theater separately. Yeah. Well, you guys went together, didn't you? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, scrambled to the theater to go see Prometheus, which was the much hyped and lauded, uh, but at least before uh, the movie came out, uh, prequel, I guess technically, I think, to yeah. Alien. Yeah. Or the Alien series. And We've been talking about this for what, like two years or oh, something. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's it. been super huge, and and everybody was was had a you know it's going to be a prequel, it's not going to be a prequel, it's going to be part of the Alien series, but not really. And and uh, there's just been this long lead up, and Alien is one of those funny, I guess, IPs that have a, a very unique culture, and there's been this whole thing because there hasn't been a real change to it in so long that trying to go back and set up a little bit of the, the beforehand has been hotly debated on what they could and couldn't do and, and what would make sense to the story and what wouldn't. So anytime you have something that's that charged, there's going to be a whole bunch of camps you know, around the release of this. And when they finally put it out a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was just this big uh, collective, all right, let's go see it. And, and everybody had a take from it. And there was, it's funny to hear the, the different parts of that, but I went to go see it because it sounded more interesting to me than many of the, the latest, you know, we, we won't even get into the alien versus predator stuff. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I don't count that as part of. The, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm, I'm saying not it's saying different. It's part it's a different of this, genre. You know, yeah, it's not part of the series. It it's is part cool of the series. Know, whatever. Though, yeah, that it, the guy Ian White, who I mentioned before, who played the uh, the engineer, mm-hmm. um, he actually played the predator in the previous two movies. Like he physically. <laughs> you know, play the predator the as irony. the actor. I thought yeah. that was cool. Yeah, you know, and the, whether it's it's part of the series, you consider it canon or not. And some people, you know, some of the heart. I didn't really care. You know, I was looking at, you know, the from the time that. Uh, Wait, how can you not consider it canon? It's Ridley Scott. A lot of people, you know, and I've talked to a bunch of hardcore alien <laughs> people. And they're like, oh, it doesn't even count. No. <laughs> it doesn't count. I mean, it's sort of like discrediting the first. You know, or the you know the the prequel Star Wars movies. Yeah, it's like you can stick your head in the sand if you want to, but they're still out there. You know, they're still on film. It's still part of that alien whole thing. But anyway, yeah, canon is not defined by the stuff that you like. You, you know? <laughs> it's actually you know the funny thing is, is it kind of can be. You in could some say ways. that it is, but the trick is is that it is for every single person, which means that on a, a stage larger than yourself, it isn't. You know. Yeah. Well, I think, too, it's important to point out the difference between the definition of the word canon, like literary canon, where a whole bunch of people actually get together and decide what's going to be considered good enough to force people to read, or <laughs> the kind of canon which I'm talking about, which is what's considered... You things with. No, I'm just <laughs> which is Which is what's considered, uh, what's considered true in a, a storyline. That's the kind of canon I mean. Yeah, and there's, there's a whole bunch of... of charges and camps and, and everything with this anything because it has been a cult series for so long and it ha- and it's so very defined but not you know they don't really tell you a whole lot about the world or how this is set up or or a lot of the external pressures that are leading to these alien encounters you get a little bit you know the company's a dick and then they send you off in this ship and crap goes bad Oh, uh, you know, you know, it's really cool talking about the external world stuff. A lot of that stuff did get cut out, but um, you know how in the movie uh, we see David, um, Michael Fassbender's character, the uh, android David, um, when everyone's in stasis or whatever, we see him watching TV and being influenced by what he's seeing and stuff. He fixes his hair like the guy and he imitates the lines. We see him watching um, a TED lecture, uh, I think, if I remember right. We see him watching a, a TED lecture from his past but our future like 20 uh, i can't remember but anyway um and it's with uh uh peter wayland who um we see wayland in the movie as like old crusty wayland you know played by guy pierce but in this ted lecture it's wayland as a young man giving this speech about what he's going to do with his company and everything and uh anyway it's cool because we only see a little portion of it um, but there's this website, which, um, maybe teachers might be aware of called American rhetoric.com. And it has, um, great speeches, the text and audio clips and sometimes video clips. And they also have a whole section of movie speeches. And as long as they can get the rights to it, like, uh, the idea is to teach about rhetoric and, and persuasion and to teach about what makes effective speaking and all that and writing. And, uh, so I'll use that site all the time to show my students stuff. And like, you know, they have the president's speech from Independence Day when he's like, we will not go down. You know, we will fight the aliens. And today's our Independence Day. And Which it's was got, surprisingly good. Oh, it's yeah. awesome. It's got yeah. the Braveheart speech. It's got the one from Good Night and Good Luck. You know, it's got like, you know. Yeah, it, the from, one from Ratatouille? Uh, no, Ooh, I don't think it does. 
It has a uh, cool. Then hand it is incomplete. It has a uh, cool hand, Luke. You know what we have here is a failure to communicate. Um, <laughs> nice. It, it has all kinds of clips, and I was going through there the other day to build stuff for my class, and most of the stuff on there is like ten years old or more. And they had the TED lecture from Prometheus. I was like, no way. And I watched it, the whole thing. This They like created a futuristic TED lecture <laughs> with the young awesome. Peter Whalen. Yeah, it's, and it's like a eight minute long speech that he gives about the Whalen Corporation and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that whole thing was not in the movie. No, I don't so, think so. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, some of that, all that background about the worlds and everything, I think they've thought a lot of it through and even filmed a lot of it. But yeah, we don't, don't necessarily we don't get, to get to see it all. And depending on what DVD release and, and if you've read these comics and if you've read this, you get a bigger picture. But if you just go and watch the movies, they really don't give you a whole bunch. They just set it up and let you let you experience it as the crew is experiencing it, right? With these, these external for forces applied, but not necessarily in the movie themselves. You know what I mean? I love that, by the way. Yeah, it's really cool. And in this one... There's a lot more of that, but you get you begin to understand why stuff is so screwed up, you know. Uh, and and the the and in a lot of ways, it's more realistic than sometimes you see in like Star Wars or Star Trek or everything. So people are going for these either altruistic reasons or, or evil, uh, reasons, you know, yeah. evil or yeah. The, in Prometheus, it's you know you realize the power of will. You know, this dude has a ton of money. He has a company. He can build it, and he goes because he wants to live forever. You know, so all these people are thrown into this, and all this this mess happens because of this this one man's will, for all intents and purposes. And kind of scary. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, that's kind of how stuff gets going. One person has this vision, or a group of people, a small group of people, have a vision, and then through resources and just dogged determination, they accomplish a goal and it may not, may not be a good goal. It may not be a good outcome and it may not be a good execution, but it's something does happen. And it's a wonderful exhibition of how all of this stuff can, can happen, which is part of the story for this. This is kind of why I wanted to see Prometheus. I'm like, okay, how did we get here? And Prometheus does a fantastic job of telling you, that story, the, uh, you know, and it, it, it branches between, okay, we're going to tell you a lot more stuff that you didn't want to know some stuff that you didn't know you wanted to know. Uh, like, uh, when, uh, I didn't think they were going to do that, that early earth thing where the dude, uh, where the engineer just the opening scene. Yeah. Drinks the black goo and then. Turns in, you know, sprinkles DNA. Right? <laughs> sprinkles DNA. <laughs> All like, over. Explodes. Spilled his seed upon the <laughs> earth. His sorry, DNA. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, upon the earth and everything, which I got something else to say about that later. But uh, there's... Assuming uh, that was earth. Yeah, it's a possibility it was. I think the best I've kind of heard, because I, I had, we had kind of our interpretations and we went out and started reading others once we kind of thought about it a bit. Mm -hmm. And the best kind of consensus I can get is that uh, it, it may or may not have been Earth. We don't know for sure. Uh, but if it was not Earth, Earth happened the same way. Yeah, in any case, it's yeah, kind it, of the story we talking of how about it works. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was a little skeptical when they brought out the little pane of glass and they did the DNA analysis and they matched exactly. And I'm like, that can't possibly happen over thousands of years of evolution. But okay, you know, I'll I'll, I'll go along. But all right, wait, why uh, not? 
because DNA changes. That's what it does. Well, yeah, but I mean, how do we know that they weren't? I mean, we don't. It I mean, changes, but it also remains the same in certain fundamental ways. Right. And it, but with, which is, I assumed, what they were measuring. Yeah, which, exactly. And, you know, the, the part I have a problem, I, I guess I'm, I call it CSI sensitive. Um, you know how CSI does these? Like it's all BS. So it's all BS. You, so we can just you, show it however the hell we want their to. BS with your thing. It's a it's a fictional story, so it all falls apart. As does the analysis and everything yeah. else. And the, which is the point I get involved. The graphs they show are completely nonsensical and craptastic. <laughs> Wait, zoom in on that T cell. Yeah. All right, zoom in on this corner of it. You know, they, they, <laughs> look, there's a reflection on the T cell of his blood they, cell. They always That's yeah awesome. exactly. They, they they do that kind of thing it, when it, whenever they do this and they do this and. and Star Trek was horrible about it. They they would, in order to illustrate it for you, they would have two graphs, and then they would superimpose the graphs, <laughs> and they would and merge and be exactly the same. Have and two I'm sine like, waves like land on each other. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're like, show us these two DNA samples, and then they merge them together, and they're exactly the same. I'm like, you realize that can't happen. You know, you know what? I got to tell you, I think that this movie is not about the prequel or set it's for not. me for it's not about setting things up for alien it's not about uh it's not about the technical stuff on the screen it's not about any of that crap it's about for telling me. the story well and not only that i think that this is a story that has been so this is a a, a piece of art that is so heavily loaded with meaning like they have they have taken every knob you can twist and twisted it to put to ins- to to bring meaning to it. We'll talk about addressing the big questions, right? Yeah. And- I don't know if there is a bigger question than, you know, the kind of where did we come from? Why are we here? You know, how did I get here? Yeah. This is not my beautiful DNA. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it looks <laughs> nice. Our DNA is. <laughs> representative, but legally distinct <laughs> from that. Check what's doing the art test. That's awesome. But yeah, uh, I mean, it's from the video. Is, yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> but, I was trying to figure out how to explain that to people. Listening. Yeah, yeah, I, I just figured I'd forget about it. I couldn't help it. It was too good. You can't pass that. Even if it doesn't play on radio, you still got to do it. No, I feel like I feel like all of the ways that you can you can put meaning into a story, like things that are visually symbolic, things that are sim- symbolic through action, things that social relationships between people that are designed to mean something beyond the simple relationship, every, everything, it's just chalk full. It's, um, it's the reason I, I tweeted after we saw it, I didn't want to be spoiler or anything. So the only thing I could think to say is, man, I think this may not be the most popular movie, but it's going to be a, a classic because they've used the art form so efficiently that I think it's going to stick around long beyond, you know. This was the, probably the the X-Men first class of its. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, X-Men yeah. did its thing, and a lot of people were unhappy. And I was, uh, actually, I love the series, but I was a little unhappy because I don't think they did the Dark Phoenix Saga justice because it was much bigger and, and much better than I think the movies actually explained. Uh, but when you, you go back to X-Men first class, I was like, oh, that's how they should have done X-Men in the first place. This is is kind of the right track. I think it should have been on in the first place. Alien, man, the, Prometheus really for me, and I know Alien really started out as kind of a horror type of, of genre. Um, this works much better for me. Uh, the, the way they told the story, the way they incorporated the rest of the 
the series into this, but really that wasn't the important part. Let's talk about you know it. What I mean? Let's talk about the part that is important. Yeah, the for me the 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 part that really got me was a the, the story and the way they told it was phenomenal. I, I loved the the horror without the horror. It's suspense, and and you get to see this alien species and how it's formed and and things that are truly alien from the way we understand them. Isn't that the most effective kind of horror too? When you know, for the entire first half of the movie, all of the horror exists in potential. Yeah. In, like your, in your mind and, in and your what mind. you think. Yeah. I mean, because usually I am not a fan of horror movies. I almost just don't, don't watch either. them you know, I, at I'm all. Not either. And yet this, the horror in this movie felt so justified. It, it felt so like there's a reason for it. And, and that kind of horror would make sense, you know, when you're dealing with really big questions, like we're going to meet our creator and then have big questions like that. Yeah, it's going to be horrific when you find out. So we, we need to walk through those big things just to make sure we're on the same page, I think. You know, and, and because it's really easy to get into, like, I, I think everybody in the world is going to analyze this in terms of, did I like it compared to Alien and stuff? And I, I feel like there's some big questions in here that are hard to answer, you know? Yeah, the I mean, the movie starts out where they find this, these, I guess, cave Cave drawings, drawings. Yeah, oh, yeah, paintings. You Audra, know? you got it. This is awesome, <laughs> yeah, by the way. It's so funny. Yeah, when they we see them uh, discovering the cave paintings, and one of the things when they shine the flashlight on it, and we see like the guy with his hand outstretched and the like little cylinders and stuff. And if you look next to it, you see the horses, like the the well, you you must have recognized it too. The, the three dimensional horses. <laughs> That's awesome. They're like this predates the caves at you know at Chauvet. Uh, by like 20,000 years or whatever. And I'm like, those are the horses from the show vacant. Like those are the same <laughs> horses. You just like superimpose like, like a tattoo, temporary tattoo, like peeled them off of the Chauvet wall in France, <laughs> stuck them on this thing in Scotland. Like, yeah. yeah, it yeah. was so funny. I'm like, oh my God, it's if the you, Chauvet horses. If you had uncovered a little more of the wall in Chauvet, you would have seen, you would have seen the uh, attribution. Yeah. I'm <laughs> little asterisks in the sea. Sea caves we found really on these islands. You know, I, also the got from the alien. Wood. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> and I, I I leaned over and I'm like, those are actually the. <laughs> <Audrey did> too. <laughs> That's what she did to me. She's like, those are actually. I'm like, this is actually an amalgamation of lots of other stuff, stuff except for the, the guys like. Yeah, the, you know, the guy holding his arm out was, sky, was not. You know. yeah, but yeah, all the other ones were like actual it. cave Everything drawings. Everything was actual cave drawings from somewhere else. It was know? like a mosaic of of all the cave paintings we've ever seen in the world. I think a, a lot of people probably already have got this, but just in case. So, so what they're what the the, the kind of straightforward story they're telling us here. Werner Herzog's flipping out. They stole that from me. <laughs> is that the, the engineers? spread their uh their dna to these so they 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 colonize almost these planets by one of them sacrificing himself with the goo which converts their dna and makes an amalgam of their dna and the dna and the stuff from the planet and makes it now you know basically the dna scatters and then is supposed to over time combine reassemble with with other other strands and and different things and create kind of of a a genre of species or whatever that's compatible with the yeah so well so instead of bending them the planet to themselves or themselves to the planet they sacrifice themselves and creates a third one that's like both right and and is that how they reproduce 
I don't know. Well, and see, that's one of the big questions and one of the questions at the end that they try and answer. Why the hell would you do this? I mean, because the planet's obviously developing naturally. So why does it need you? Why do you feel the need to inject your help on it? Or are you doing that? Are you making a race of slaves? Are you making something that you're you trying to correct a mistake that it's happening? I mean, why why set up this system? Well, one of the major takes seems to be that they they t- they interacted successfully with these people, hence the the drawings and so on, right? right? For quite some time, from like for like many 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 millennia, right? And then at some point in the past. And it's probably significant that it was around 2000 years ago. They something really bad happened and they stopped interacting with us. Like, yeah, humans did something so crappy or or proved themselves to be so crappy that the engineers just cut themselves off. Right. And and, like, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Right. You guys suck. And then in our recent history, it's after that. And then this discovery takes us back to that. Right. And then when they go out to find the engineers, they find this place and they find, of course, the alien gun. Right. And some of this, by the way, is from like Chuck did some outside reading and we read some interviews with people and and some background stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not just interpreting. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I think it's fair interpretation, you know. Um, but I mean, it's not just speculation based on what we saw. We're not guessing all of it. You some, know? Yeah. And other people are guessing too, I, I think. But, uh, but, but this part is relatively clear. They do mention it's 2000 years. It's obviously, you know, they do so far. This is pretty given, you know, um, then the interesting part gets to be when they meet the engineers and this is where it's less clear, I think, exactly what was happening and we're left to kind of interpret it ourselves, right? Yeah. One of the big things I've noticed talking to people is that some people see the alien gun as a weapon and some people see it as a, a distribution method. Right. And and I have to admit that I'm in the distribution method camp because even though I, you know, the best explanation I heard, and I, I couldn't quite figure this out on my own, but when I heard it, I thought, wow, I really agree with that, which is that the alien, you know, that the engineers are concerned and, and hostile to the human beings there because they, they see humans as these selfish, corrupt, corrupt people. Yeah. Uh, and, and they know that like, I, this just resonated with me. They know that when, that the most dangerous place they could possibly be is near that gun. And with all that black goo, because if you combine the black goo with, with corrupt people, you get bad stuff. So it's like, uh, the best description I heard was that black goo plus humans in this case, in the engineer's eyes, at least equals death, you know, black goo plus engineer equals selfless life. Right. Or black goo plus, you know, any other living form that's not corrupted the way humans are will work out okay. Or could, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's why they try to get it. But that explained what that kind of opened for me, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this, but what that kind of unlocked for me was I was trying to figure out what was the progression with the various things that came from the black black goo. I didn't get that at first. And the black goo when when uh um uh Gosh, I I feel awful. Just describe the the android's name. David. David, yeah, of course. Duh. Uh, when David, you know, feeds the black black goo right uh, to a human, um, we get this kind of horrible. This kind of well, we get essentially an alien, right? 
Which the beginning I, stages of one. Yeah, least. or at least, I mean, that, yeah, exactly. You know, when, when the thing that she cuts out of herself grows up, I mean, hey, man, it's an alien. It's got the head and all night. <laughs> I'm like, that's okay, well, messed up. Well, wait a second. That didn't come just naturally from him, though, in the goo. It was those little worms. Remember? It was the worms that uh, he found in his eye. Well, he basically impregnated, or the you know the other dude impregnated her, and then she grew the alien in her stomach or in her. Right, but what I'm saying is, I don't. It did mix also the, with the black goo that was with the worms because right. he saw the worms. That's in what his I'm eye. talking about. Yeah, right. I think it was the goo plus the worms plus him. Now he brought the corruption, but I think it, without the worms, I don't think the alien could have been created. I don't think the goo in the human. I, see, that's that's the part that I think I'm not, not super sure. clear. But yeah. I get that, like the it made the weird thing in the not quite alien but weird, ugly superworm thing, right? Which was kind of one creation, right? And then the black goo plus uh, plus the two humans made the alien, and we know that the black goo plus whatever was on the earth made us, right? So it's kind of interesting. Well, you remember the uh, the British dude, uh, the redheaded guy? I think he had a mohawk bunch of tattoos the geologist right um when he was exposed to it it turned him into this like monster and, and at the end when we see him his uh, helmet's broken and everything so he's actually like breathing the atmosphere and everything he's all mutated and, and freakish but i think chuck and i were talking about that like if black goo plus human creates something horrible you know again like that's what happened it created this mutant beast but um, one that could at least for a little bit of time survive in that atmosphere. Kind of weird. The how do you uh, how do you, what are your thoughts or how do you explain the uh, the carvings in the in the egg room slash mausoleum or whatever it was that uh, you know of the alien queen looking thing and the all the stuff running around with that and the big head and all that. I mean, what do you, what do you guys' thoughts on that? Because obviously they had developed that creature thousands and thousands and thousands or millions of years ago. I I the big the big thing that that kind of was that a warning or was that a respect thing or was that a this is what we're trying to achieve or what do you think that was? My first thought, and I don't feel as firmly about this yet. I need to see it again. But my first thought was that because you know the 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 alien gun as we call it or the the distribution thing has that design. It has that uh, Giger design ethic, right? which we see in the aliens. And I wonder if it's, if those were, those weren't necessarily aliens on the, on the roof, you know, on the, it's a fresco, right? Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. Uh, that, that painting that they saw. Right. But it was kind of alien ish. No, it had the head that looked pretty damn. Did it? I didn't yeah. see that. It was cool. pretty, uh, it was one of the things I keyed in on. I'm like, Oh crap. You know? And it was, it was illustrated there. Well, a warning would be a good explanation. Maybe it wasn't that. millions of years ago. Maybe it was around two thousand years ago. Maybe it could the be. the original corrupted humans, you know, mixed with the goo, created the aliens, and then they, so the aliens were originally on that planet. Or uh, was it? Wait, where did they? It wasn't on Earth that they found that stuff, was it? Mm-mm. Yeah. So no. the see so the original aliens were found on that planet because they had, you know, come from humans two thousand years ago. I I think that. You know the uh, a lot of the kind of common interpretation is that um, well, I mean the straightforward one is that uh, is that the uh, the engineer returned to try to uh, to 
to sell to to save humanity from itself from its selfish ways right and and uh, the the con- the kind of unspoken interpretation here is that the engineer is Jesus right mm-hmm. that the engineer returns uh, the story that became that is an engineer oh, that shows return. up okay. returns and and you all suck you need to stop you know and gets crucified right whoops right. you know so you know that's one of the interpretations is floating around and i, I think it's a pretty good one is that uh you'd imagine if they the stories <laughs> went jesus was 10 feet tall yeah, you would, think there'd be some mention of that be, <laughs> jesus was a mutant man <laughs> he could crush the small house with his bare hand you'd think that would somebody what, after they wiped the poop out of their pants, they mentioned it. <laughs> Finally backs up why so many people think he was white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Audra for the Dude, man. <laughs> didn't look like Ted Nugent, though. What was he? Well, he didn't have the beard or the long scraggly. Maybe it was a wig or something. Of course, something. you know, a telephone game could explain a lot of that, too. It's true. It's true. Especially people that maybe when the stories of the 10-foot-tall alien became less and less believable over time and people normalized them, it could very quickly start to become a supernatural thing as opposed to a, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all, especially with virtually no direct well, It always seems to me that the telephone game seems to tend toward hyperbole, though, not away from it. It does, you know? just a different kind. Yeah. You know, it would be a hyperbole that would be more acceptable to people. <laughs> Jesus had 37 ab muscles. <laughs> that were four inches thick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think your warning explanation sounds really good. I, I, I don't know. That I, was kind of my just of it it's like look this can happen this is why we're you know <laughs> I, I don't you know, know it, it really lines up with a lot of things it know? lines up better for me i don't know if that's yeah. the way they're going to take it but it's like look you know it makes a lot of sense yeah i i had another interpretation and i might be missing some pieces too but it reminded me a lot of the ancient egyptian statues like the the large you know the large stone effigies basically and at least in all human history, as far as I can tell, everything that I've seen, whenever societies build a big human effigy like that, it's almost <laughs> always out of reverence. You know, like this was a leader of some sort or a god or representative of a god or a god in you know human form or something like that. So you think that was the expression of perfection as the alien monster? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we don't know who created that stuff. It might not have been humans. Well, I don't think it was because it was in the the engineers' mm-hmm. complex. I don't think it was humans that created. I don't think that it could have been. It seems could, odd that it would have been good. Well, I, could aliens have created it? You know, worshiping their own alien queen, kind of thing. It would, yeah, be, but I don't think there's any indication well, for see, that. the The reason I, I think it was the engineers who made it is it was an in, in, in wow I cannot say that it was in an engineer. Uh, installation and it was full of engineer canisters that were containing the goo so it would seem weird to me that they were putting the expression of what can happen if crap goes bad in an engineer's uh, bullet room or, or ordinance room for lack of a better term of this goo that can alter the entire course of a planet's existence that they would have the one of the ultimate expressions of crap that goes bad 
on the wall. It it sort of strikes me. I thought that's the argument that you guys are making, though. Is that, that's what I'm saying. That yeah, it's that, it's, that it's a warning. I think it would be odd that somebody else would have made that. That the aliens would have made that, or the humans would have made that, or anything like that. That they would have see what sort of locks together to me all the pieces that sort of fit. And I'm I'm sort of making my decisions based on. The, I think it's almost the Sean method of if it solves a lot, the more problems yeah, it solves, sure, the sure. more likely I'm to buy it. Yeah, it's like uh, you know if. If the if this base was on a remote place, like you'll see some people online saying oh, it's there because it's a weapon and they don't want to get none on them. And I'm thinking I, I like the other explanation, which is that it's uh, it's far away because the goo has very strong potential to do good or bad based on what it comes in contact with. So you want it to be remote so you can control very accurately yeah. what it comes as in contact with. As little variables as possible. You know, because it, it it's like either instant death or instant life, depending on what you hook it up with. So why the alien queen um, sculpture? That's what, and that's why I'm buying Sean's explanation is that Sean's saying it's, it's, it's there for, for the, by, it was created by the frescoes were created by the engineers for the engineers as a reminder of the dangers of what happens. Okay, if you, so in case like word of mouth or in case they forget or didn't know or something, they can... Or maybe just to be inspiring, you know, to inspire them to be vigilant, you uh-huh. know? See, I was thinking not of the frescoes, but of that giant stone alien carving. Don't we see... Don't we see like what looks like an alien queen head in stone that's like 20 feet tall? I thought that was an alien human head. Yeah, I, I thought it was too. What's an alien human? It was, no, it was... Well, it was like the engineer head, only it was giant, and they're like, oh, it looks remarkably human, you know, and they're remarking on it and everything as they get in the cavern. Oh, yeah. okay. I, yeah, I, I think no, I misremember that. it was an then. alien. The okay, aliens okay. appeared only in the fresco. Oh, all right, that, yeah, that does make sense. I could see that. Yeah. Frescoes are all, like, have often been used to tell stories, you know, like stories that we need to remember. So I I'm could, thinking yeah. less of like a warning, don't step here sign, and more like more an inspiration like a, yeah. of keep... Look, Stay vigilant. This is why yeah. you're here. This is why this installation exists, so that you can protect this from happening. And maybe our ideal is this giant engineer head, and this is what we're working towards, and this is what we're afraid of because we screwed up in this way before. And and at the same time, you know, I think um, uh, I think that locks into the concept of the reason that the alien was so violent toward everyone was holy crap. You're going to screw this up. Holy crap! This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. You know, yeah. this, this, this... The alien or the engineer? The engineer. So, the engineer, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking um, in a lot of uh, old churches and cathedrals and stuff, there are um, sometimes frescoes and, and sometimes stained glass stories and things like that of like the fall, yeah. you know, yeah. original sin and things like that. And Absolutely. They'll, they'll show the well snake said. tempting Eve and everything. And Yeah, and they show it as a warning. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's true. That's kind of how I was doing it. Like, there, this is this is bad. You know? <laughs> this is crossing the streams. This is not what you want to happen. <laughs> and it's it kind of makes sense because they they kind of build the whole thing with like double redundant fail safes. You know, like there's <laughs> yeah. this there's this giant door that closes it off, and even if there's a leak, you're not getting past this. So everything will live and die in here. Not detecting any leak. You know, and there's <laughs> oh leak. It's pretty funny. Uh, there's, uh, there's that, uh, you know, this, this giant mat room and, and, uh, that's, you know, got the preserved people in it so that when you wake them up, they can tell you what the deal is and it's all separated and out and, and quarantined in the ship so that when this does happen and there was this, you know, uh, awesome, uh, 
3D thing, you know, 3D story where it can show you what happened and the quarantine procedures and that, you know, these guys were trying to go to the goo room so that they can make sure they could get away from it and seal everything. I think that makes more sense to me. Now, the other kind of one of the big questions that a lot of people had was uh, when when they have the moment where they take Oyland to meet the engineer mm. and David translates for the for Wayland to the engineer and uh, the engineer listens and then flips out and and, and starts killing him, right? And uh, there are a couple of things that I've I've heard about that that I thought were really interesting. One is, you want me to pull the translation? Oh, that's okay. Uh, if you want, um, the uh, I forgot where I was going. I'm sorry. <laughs> the translations that we're going to. Uh, uh, well, when they take old Wayland. Oh to yeah, see the- two things that were interesting about that, uh, and and the specific words weren't important because uh, what it really came down to was. Just to clear that up, since you brought it up, what there was a uh, there was a piece of news a while back that uh, someone had talked to uh, to to the person that consulted with Linloff that created the language that they used, mm-hmm. and they, apparently that scene had been longer and blah blah blah. There, but but that he had said what, and this kind of makes it less interesting to approach it this direction. But he actually said, as far as they're concerned, what. Uh, what Wayland said. He just translated it directly. Oh, wow. But the question a lot of people had is, what did he say? And I think that's more interesting because they didn't tell us that, so it's opened our interpretation, which is, you know, did one of the concerns, I think that exposes the other kind of level of meaning in this, which was interesting, which was because you have this selfless, you know, versus selfish kind of thing going on, you have Wayland who is very selfish, right? Who literally is like, so used to moving people around like pawns that he doesn't even recognize that others humans have value anymore. And you have his daughter who is the same way, even toward him. Right. And then a lot of people have pointed out, and I noticed that it happened in the, in the movie, but I didn't quite connect the interpretation. If you'll notice when the engineer kills Waylon, he actually picks up David and, and rips him apart and kills Wayland with half of him. Mm-hmm. So the interesting symbolism here being that, mm, yeah. that the engineer kills his creation with his creation's creation, you know? And, and, and I think there's actually something to that. That's not an accident that he does that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a far out way of killing. And, it's funny, and he doesn't even have a problem with David. He's just like, <laughs> it would have been easier to swat him or something, but yeah. he actually yeah. does it with, with David of all things. And, uh, And I found a lot of kind of interest in that, you know, the fact that David is so weird because David like is very curious, but he has a real bent sense of morality because on one hand, he's happy to feed the goo to, uh, I forget his name. Yeah. I can't remember his name either, but so um, so important. It's Elizabeth (laughs) Shaw's, uh, I don't know if, are they married? I can't remember if her husband or her partner or whatever the guy. Elizabeth Shaw, the guy that uh, is briefly involved with the important person, Elizabeth Shaw, right? When, When, you know, David is happy to feed him the goo. But he won't do it without kind of getting a sideways confirmation, like, I like get, getting his permission. Yeah, first. he's yeah. like, "What would you do?" And he's like, "I would, I do anything, you know." And I think if he hadn't said that, I don't think he'd have fed it to him. Yeah, in order to you be know? your creator, what would you be willing to do? And the guy's like, "Absolutely anything." At which and point he says, he's like, "Okay, then, cool." All right. it to him. You know, like he has this sense of morality, like he wouldn't have done it, but it's a real warped one because you know he's clearly okay with this, and uh, 
you don't know quite where to place him because he really, they did such a great job. He really, <gasps> he seems human in a lot of ways and yeah. you want to imbue him with this humanity, but, but he's, he's not, not human. And that's, I think that's why the, in, especially later in the series, everybody gets a little wigged out with the android type robots because they look human and sometimes they can act human, but and they're you really kind of trust them, but, but you can't, they have a programming and they have something that is actually guiding them. That is different than a human conscious sort of like the engineers and us. Yeah. Like so, the engineers created us, but we ain't that anymore. We yeah, ain't them, yeah. you know? And it's, it's kind of a weird type of deal. And it, it's very interesting to watch the the three of them, especially in that room. Everybody's got different crap that's powering them. Yeah, and and you don't really realize that ain't nobody talking about the same thing, you know, for the same reason. And it's it's great. Uh, that's that's part of the reason that that makes this a good story. You know, you have all these things that come together, and you realize, uh oh. Yeah, but some some people had had speculated that maybe David had actually said something different. Like, I wondered, you know, did he say something to incite? He wants to do your mom. Yeah, yeah. did he yeah. say something to incite the engineer to violence? And but Chuck, I thought it was a good point that you made, like pointing out that the engineer that his rage and his destruction of Wayland, right, that his killing humans is actually not because he's a psychopathic, you know, horribly violent, just amoral thing that that needs to die or whatever but actually has a reason for feeling that way and and you know maybe weirdly justified in his own kind of way that the engineers see people and i was like holy crap you know because whenever you see a movie you always assume that humans don't deserve that kind of fate you know and then to think what if we do deserve it really scary well and i think that the interface between those two comes when maybe we do at this moment but wouldn't forever and i think that if they encountered the engineer somewhere else not in this place i think the engineer wouldn't have been violent toward them you know or might not have been whereas oh like you've come here and or if there's all this goo everywhere and it's dangerous and if they know if they had somehow run into them in a place where it wasn't immediately dangerous for everybody that they were there you know, like like if they had encountered on some random off, planet. But that's what I'm planet, saying is yeah. like that's where all the goo was, right? And that's why it was dangerous. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to go back for a second because I just wanted to comment on something earlier that the alien gun, I think it can be a, a distribution of life and a weapon at the same time. And, you know, that it's not not a weapon. Maybe destroying is not its primary function. But if it if they use it on Earth and it wipes out all existing life in order to reseed it in a new way, which hence the line: first you must just sometimes you must destroy to create. Mm-hmm. God, uh, does David say? Doesn't everyone want their parents dead or something? Was that was that in the movie or am I? No, that was in the movie. I can't and, remember if it was him or. And that or, was yeah, that was a lot of the justification for people thinking maybe he said something different. Is that you get that plus you also get. Um, you know, when when they're talking about what will you do after Wayland dies? And he's like, I guess I would be free, you know? And and so there's some speculation that maybe David has a desire to be free and would say something that would cause him this bad stuff to happen because it would free him. him. Mm. But I, I tend to think that that wouldn't be the case, that he maybe isn't even thinking on that level, that he has motives that are entirely different than that. But I think that's an interesting question, you know? 
Well, it's cool because first uh, Elizabeth Shaw says, well, I didn't. I never wanted my parents gone, you know. And I think that there's a reason. Like, she's special in a lot of ways. You know, the way she thinks about things and her curiosity and her her scientific curiosity and her open-mindedness and stuff. She's not like the guy that she hooked up with. She's not like the other people mostly on this expedition. Far and away the most interesting person on the ship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was going to say going, if, if you compare that to the... And maybe this is obvious, but like the the Christian story of the flood, the idea is that people got so corrupt that, uh, you know, my understanding is that God was just basically like, I'm done with you guys. You don't deserve to be here anymore. I'm going to send a massive flood that destroys everything except for these select few. And then we're going to start over and we're going to do it right. You know, I mean, and there are stories of that flood in all kinds of ancient uh, stories and tablets that actually go back way more than 2000 years. Um, and there's actually, if, if you guys are interested, there's actually geological evidence that there was a massive flood in the, uh, in the middle East, yeah, in know, the Mediterranean, in the Mediterranean, area. yeah. East of the Mediterranean that essentially flooded such a huge area that it covered all of the major civilizations in a, in a particular part of the world such that all the people who lived in that area would have, it would have been easy to assume that it was the entire earth because it went on for so many, like thousands of miles, you know? Um, it's interesting though, you know, like it's not, uh, it's not an unfamiliar trope, when you, you know, the creator saying, yeah, <laughs> screw you guys, flies, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just, you know, yeah, there's uh, that Get the galvanized tub and the water hose. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, and the fact that, you know, the dude, takes a drink and then jumps in water. This this giant thing, I mean, it could have been both a metaphorical and a this is going to destroy anything it touches this water. Water usually represents birth like in literature. Mm-hmm. In this case it might represent both in case, you know in I got the sense that in that first scene that like the early earth or prehistoric earth or whatever it was you that know, it, there weren't already bunches of people. I got the sense they weren't destroying a bunch to create. Yeah. It was like they don't new, really tell you, but I kind of got that sense. In but. many ways, maybe David is like meant to be almost like um, I want to say amoral, but that gets used to mean immoral very often. But I mean amoral, like yeah, he just without, doesn't have doesn't any. Have any right. He's not bad. He just but doesn't. he's meant to be a third party to put both the engineer and the humans and the aliens. I mean, all of those in perspective, mm-hmm. like everybody has a motivation and drives and stuff, except David. He's just kind of doesn't, you know? Well, I got the impression that he has a small ability to like, he, he has interests. He, he, he watches things. He watches her dream. He, nobody told him to do that. He just does. Yeah, so he's curious. He's intelligent. He's curious. There's intelligent, but he's amoral. <laughs> amoral because yeah. he he's not built that way. Just he's not wired that factor. way. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't happen for him. So he can be manipulated. Uh, manipulated is a bad word, but influenced or or instructed on programmed. Yeah, basically. Well, but on I, how that works. But I wonder if his overall purpose isn't to like just give us some perspective on ourselves and on the others. You mean from a story writing perspective? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, like, like you know, is he in the story, and and is he that way? Because <laughs> David, the fair witness, you know? kind of, yeah. yeah. That's well, funny. through him, we did see the dream that Shaw has 
which is actually a memory of being in what looked like India with her father and talking about, you know, well, that's what people believe. And some people don't believe in this God and, and some people do. And, you know, we get really important information about her through her dream through David. Yeah. As an observer. Yeah, you're right. I guess they kind of actually do that a little bit, don't they? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The the fun thing, I, I think, you know, seeing Shaw survive and of course that awesome moment where Shaw is like, yeah, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go <laughs> I want where I'm from. Answers. I want to go back yeah. to where I came from. I want to go where he came from. You're like, and, and it's funny because then, and David's like, okay, you know. And I you can get, make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> pop my head back on. We'll be cruising the stars. You kind of get the feeling that, that David's like, cool, I get to learn more. You yeah. know, and that's all he really cares about. And and he is, in effect, free. You know, and obviously, he doesn't have a body and he's, he relies on her some, but he is. Well, she's going to put him back together, right? Maybe. Maybe. She only took his head. Oh, yeah, thought, she put the head she took, in a bag. Yeah, she oh, she did head. lower the body down. Oh, did she? Oh, yeah, she did. Yeah, you're she, right. Yeah. I mean, they didn't show us loading her loading it or anything, but they showed her lowering it down first, so yeah. maybe. Yeah, he might put her back and put him back together. You know, one one other thought here. Are you uh, fully functional, David? <laughs> <laughs> God. I was like, can you imagine spending eternity, which is you on this spaceship with this android who's pretty much like a guy, but you can't trust him because you're not, because he's not really human. And Oh, yeah, and his head's detached? Most guys anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, that's, wow, that's funny. I was actually going to say, I think, uh, I, I think we're, we're almost seeing a, a prototypical Ripley here getting oh, started. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because Shaw, who starts off seemingly very meek and, and knowledgeable, Becomes but not that, the badass. Well, mm. yeah, we find out that she has a survival spirit that's not yet uncovered before that was wasn't seen before this. You could say that after Anyone watching that surgery or, scene. Yeah, yeah. programs are on C-section <laughs> with basically crap. no anesthetic. It's yeah. just like, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. then, uh, uh, you talk about the funny things that stupid us CSI like pull out of it and go, what? When it doesn't make any difference. The one that got me is when she hangs from her hands and pulls herself up. Oh, the thing. And you're like, wow, your after ab having her reco- ab muscles cut in half. Quickly. I'm like, yeah, not so much. Yeah. There were a couple of those physical that just things. Me, you just like, she wouldn't have been not, Yeah. Who cares? You I know? mean, I got the sense the machine healed her yeah, to a certain tech, degree. But tech, tech, tech fixes it. Right. You know, right, but still <laughs> just like tech, tech, tech fixes the DNA. Yeah. But no, I, I, um, so you get that from her, but you also get the the way she like, um, she she cares about David, but doesn't, but recognizes he's amoral and doesn't entirely trust him and never will. Mm-hmm. And she grows up a lot in that time, and a lot of those, it's like they showed the creation of a lot of the things that made Ripley who she was. Yeah, you know, she wasn't heartless, but her heart didn't take her stupid places either. You know, she wasn't overly <laughs> sentimental when she found out that the realities that she assumed were true were absolutely not true. She went forward. Instead she of went backwards. forward instead of trying to make that that uh, you know system of belief work when it didn't anymore. You know, there was proof that it didn't. She took that and moved on from where she was. Okay, that is not true. This is now reality. We're going to move on from here, and here's how we're going to act from here on in. And she took that throughout the entire movie and you watched her more than anyone else. Everyone else kind of stayed the same. Everyone else really arrived at the planet and either died on the, well, everyone arrived and And died died on the planet (laughs) with the same 
set of, of values and belief systems that they arrived with. She was the only one who went, okay, this huh. is not right. You Even, know? um, what was her name? Charlize Theron's character. Was it Vivian something? Like even she doesn't really learn anything. No, she learns absolutely nothing. And then I think at the, the, the well, I mean, you know, as far as how she views things, right. she learns nothing. Uh, information, sure. But uh, even yeah, at the end. She doesn't grow as a character. Yeah, she doesn't really grow. All she sees is, I am now in power. All I need to do is get out of here. And, Crunch. Yeah. <laughs> Crunch. Did you guys see the Penny Arcade? I did. Yeah, yeah, I, that love that. <laughs> yeah, that I love that. I love that. There is a practical, just, just for the record, there's a practical explanation when something that big is moving uh, and you you're running, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't know that it was rolling straight. We were like 300, 500 feet in the air back, could see it rolling straight forward. Of course, it could have fallen over at any given moment so running forward running sideways i don't know run away you that's know, all you'd be doing there's a uh, a great thing and actually i, I get this from uh axemen when they cut down trees and, well when they cut down trees or one's errantly falling or something like that uh there's this great scene in one of them where uh you know the tree is falling and there's this uh this obviously veteran uh ex uh, you know, tree cutter who grabs the cameraman and uh, on some of the outtakes and all that stuff and says, we don't know which way we're running yet. Don't move. Yeah. And he watches a little bit. Okay. We need to go this way. Cause when wow. something that big and that yeah. tall is falling, it could change in the middle. It could change yeah. in the middle. And you're not really sure from your vantage point because you're at the base. You don't really know which way it's going. Okay. Now, and you have yeah, to wait for a yeah. second to yeah, watch it. You only have it. to move 10 feet. You only have to move, but right. it's an important 10 feet, you know, because if you go the other way, it's bad. So see, you have to, you don't know which way you're running yet. And you see, I, f I figure you put that together with the fact that this ship was 100 feet wide or something. It doesn't matter. Just run away. Yeah, just run. You know, I, it doesn't I wanted make to, any difference. I wanted to mention quickly, this is not like by any means the most important thing in the movie. It's tiny, but I noticed another par parallel they made with Ripley in the first Alien movie is there's an underwear scene, essentially, where she gets into a suit. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, like the bra and, and underwear scene. And uh, if you remember Sigourney Weaver was kind of a young, like new actress that not a lot of people knew about back then. And um, she's... She's the queen of sci-fi now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and back then in that scene, um, there she's thin, like very thin, uh -huh. you know. And she's strong, but she's kind of sinewy. But she's fit. She's yeah. not fit, like right. she's not like cur like like curvaceous with big fake button no. boobs. Yeah. She's like. And I thought it was cool that, and I forget the woman's name who plays uh, Elizabeth Shaw, but I thought it was cool that Shaw. Similar. In the similar but more muscular, yeah. I, I was appreciative that they chose this woman who. You know, she's a leading, she's a leading female actor in a major Hollywood movie who is very beautiful, but she's also really strong and muscular. And she didn't just have like butt implants; she had glutes, like like real strong yeah, legs. Yeah, she looked and, like she bust your ass too. Yeah, she, she looked, works out. Yeah. She looks like someone yeah. who does like you know kickboxing or that type of like stout kind of. Uh, you know, and I just thought that was really cool, Me you know, too. that they showed her in it and it was, she was sexy, but I didn't feel like she was like sexualized a bunch. You it was know? cool. Yeah. I that just thought it was awesome. worth mentioning. No, it was really cool. I agree. This one, this is one of those things you can't, you can't cover in a short time and it's fun to talk about. And I, I think, uh, I think there'll be a lot more discussion of it over time. This is one of those movies that's going to hang around. I, I hope so. And I hope yeah. that the, apparently they, 
Uh, they left it open for a second one on purpose. Uh, I hope that happens. Oh, yeah, it's going I, to. It made I, money. I, I really hope that happens because I really want to know more of the story, and <laughs> I like too. Elizabeth Shaw. Me too. Yeah, she's really Me too. Me too. Well, guys, wrapping up. Audrey, yeah. you got anything to add here? Yeah, there, there's so much more to say. I, I yeah. just... Um, she's like, yes, I need another hour. Just come back and tell me. <laughs> I know. Now, I, I feel like I'm just like, you know, wetting the edge of like what's what we're ready to talk about now. Um, it's a good discussion. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I guess that's how I'll, I'll wrap it up. I think that um, there are a lot of, you know, people have a lot of strong opinions about this movie and stuff, and, and that's not our focus, you know, uh, the the opinions or critiques or whatever. But I think that one thing you can say is that one of the functions of art is to get people thinking and talking And when people are having controversial discussions about this movie, you know, even people who didn't like it necessarily, you know, going on and talking about what it means and and why did this bother you or why did you like this or whatever. I think that art has done its job when you get people talking. Agreed. Sean? What Audra said. (laughs) Agreed. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's cool. Uh, Also, go see, uh, they they released this week, go see Brave and uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Those both look awesome. Yeah, they do. Uh, If I can possibly work it out, I'm going to be seeing Brave this weekend. Ooh, nice. Which is... uh, Get a report on that next week. Yeah, Yeah. it's only been out for like two days or something. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it opened Thursday night. So uh, this is Saturday morning. So I, I have probably missed the Saturday easy early showings where nobody's there. So I probably have to do it uh, tomorrow if I can. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. So I want to see that. That's awesome. Well, guys, next week we are uh, we are going to be talking about an important part of everybody's kind of past geek experiences: toys. Menage toys. <laughs> yeah. So hey, one thing is that if you have a moment, uh, give us a call two one four two nine six nine two two nine and uh, follow the instructions there and you can leave us a message we would love to hear about your favorite toys from when you're a kid they can be sci-fi related they can be not uh what did you enjoy are, games or toys by the way um or toys that you collect now that's, that's okay, right <laughs> yeah just tell us about what you're into toy wise <laughs> and uh it'll it'll be it'll be a lot of fun i i'm looking forward to it hopefully we can pull some of those calls in and uh we'll see you next week On behalf of everyone here at GWC, thanks for listening. And thanks to all who make GWC possible, including producers Soleil, form moderators Badger Spoon, Pike, and Frackentalos, GWC Book Club Maven, Casilda, and tech guru Juan Drew. Remember, if you'd like to share your opinions with the GWC crew and listeners, you can call us anytime at 214-296-9229, extension 701. You can also contact us via galacticwatercooler.com, our website and blog. But you should really spend some time over on the GWC forum. GWCers really are the friendliest people on sci-fi. We're always re-watching a group reading something fun. You might even find a GWC meetup somewhere near you. GWC is funded by advertising and by listeners like you. For information on how you can donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. Finally, special thanks to Ferris and his friends Encoder and Jim Minadeo for GWC's sweet theme music. For more Encoder, visit them at myspace.com slash Encoder.